So we're going to jump in, into this message, into this idea of <clears throat> if your money could talk, what would your money say about you? And, and my guess is, as you're sitting home on your couch with your family, maybe, or maybe at the kitchen table or the island, gathering around a laptop watching this message, sipping your coffee, you're thinking, great, another message on money. I don't want to hear about this. And really, you'd probably say, I, I don't care if my money talks. And if my money could talk, Jim, I don't really know that I'd, I'd want to hear what it has to say. I, I don't want to hear about this. So much so that I'm not going to drive into church and I'm not going to hear this message live. But, but my, my guess is that if our money really could talk, that if our money was for us, if our money was on our side, if our money had our best interest in mind, our, my guess is that we wouldn't be too surprised at all about what our money would say about us, right? Our, it, would, it would say something like this, like, like yeah, I, I know, I know. Or, or yeah, I, maybe, perhaps, I, I should have known, right? I, I should have known about that, or, or how about this one? How about, no, I, I shouldn't have. I, I just shouldn't have done it. I just shouldn't have gone there. Right, that there is this, this, this idea that, that what, what our money could say about us, when it comes to the idea of how we spend our money or maybe the things we've done with our money, uh, maybe the, the unwise decisions we made when we were young or the wise decisions we did make, that there's this kind of connection between our behavior about how we behave and how we use our money and, and what our money would eventually say about us. And there's, there's this connection that goes all the way back uh, to, to words that Jesus said. The, the truth is this should, really shouldn't be a, a, a surprise to you, but for some of you this may be a complete shock. Is, is this. The shocker for this whole series, kind of the theme for this whole series, isn't what your money would say about you, but it, it's the parallel. It's the connection between what, you, what your money could say, if it would say anything, and what Jesus said about you when he was alive, or what Jesus said about money. You, you might not know this, but Jesus actually said more about money than he did about heaven. And about 35 to 38 parables, depending on how you count them. These are our stories. These are illustrations that Jesus would use to tell us about the kingdom of God. And about 35 to 38 of them, about 16 of them, about half of what Jesus said in his parables had to do with money. <clears throat> Jesus actually said more about money than he ever did about heaven. <clears throat> so Jesus has something to say. Jesus wants us to, to, to basically understand something about money that, that a lot of us tend to miss. And my guess is whether you sat in church or you haven't sat in church, um, your idea or maybe your understanding about this is a little bit off, but maybe because of what some teacher taught you or something you heard online or something you read on the internet, you know, because everything on the, on the internet is true. But, but, but Jesus, believe it or not, he never asked people for money. And I know that's what we think of when we get into preaching messages about money at church. It's like, oh, here, he just wants my money again. Jesus just wants my money. Jesus never asked people for money. As a matter of fact, as far as we know, there's only one reference in the entire scripture where Jesus asked somebody for a coin, and he kind of did a coin trick. Not really. He, he used the coin as an illustration, and as far as we know, he gave the coin back when he was done. This is not Jesus asking for your money. This is Jesus saying there's a connection between how we behave, what our money represents, what our money could say about us, if it could say anything, and how we live our lives. So let's, let's jump in. <clears throat> if your money <clears throat> could say anything, if your money started talking, and, and, and if and me, if I were being your money, this is what I, I believe one of the things is that, that our money would say. Our money would say this, is that I can add meaning to your life, but I am not the meaning of life. I, I can add meaning to your life, but I am not the meaning of your life. Money, your money, your possessions, uh, your paycheck, my money, my possessions, my, my paycheck. It, it, there's this, this relationship, right? I can add meaning to your life, but, but I am not the meaning of life. I can, add, I can add value to your life, but I am not the end. I am not the value of your life. You see, there's a way in which we can use our money that makes our lives more meaningful. And this is really important. This is actually a really important statement um, 
if you're a Christian, because this lands on, on all of our lives. Really, this lands on your life whether you're a Christian or, or a non-Christian. This is just kind of a, a, a thing. This is, this is a statement that all of us have, have some meaning to, that all of us have, have some truth in. And, and, and that's this, right? That, that being a means to an end is what makes anything meaningful. Right? Being a means to an end is what makes anything meaningful at all. That, that's kind of the, the definition of meaning, right? This is why segways never caught on. Segways are cool and you're riding around and it seems so cool and it has a hefty price tag, but this is why you never bought one because you couldn't find meaning in it. Like, like why do I really need a Segway? What's a Segway going to do tomorrow? How is it going to make my life a- any better? So, you know, Segways never caught on and we never bought one. B- because it, it, it's the means to an end that makes anything meaningful. And we kind of know that, don't we? It's true for you as well. If you want to have a meaningful life, if you want to have any kind of a meaningful life, if you want to live a meaningful life, you'll have to figure out how to become a means to an end that isn't you. Really, that's how you figure this out. How do I become a means to an end that isn't me? See, here's what we're going to discover if we try to do this, that when you decide to become a means to an end, your money becomes a means rather than the end as well. It's kind of like your money's just going to follow you, isn't it? Your money's going to follow your heart. At least this is what Jesus eventually teaches us. That if you decide in your heart that I want to, be, I want to live my life with meaning, that I want my life to have meaning, that, that, that all of my possessions, all of my things are not the end, but they are a means to an end. Your money and your possessions follow you there as well. So my hope through this series is that we begin to see our money in kind of a different way. We're going to look at one of these parables, one of these illustrations that Jesus talked about. He says something in one of these kind of, are, are you kidding me? Did he really say that kind of a parable? This takes place in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, you probably have heard of Luke. If you've been at church before, you've heard me explain about Luke. Maybe uh, you didn't grow up in church, you never heard of Luke before at all. So here's kind of the intro. Luke is this, this kind of historian, right? He, he does the research. He wants, to, he wants to interview people. He wasn't with Jesus, but he found the people that were with Jesus. And he recorded all of the events of Jesus' life, and he kind of put them down in chronological order. And, and this, this gospel that he wrote, this kind of letter, if you will, of the life of Jesus, was so meaningful to the church that they gathered it and they kept writing it down in meticulous fashion to make sure they didn't miss anything of what Luke reported on or the information that Luke gathered. And it was rewritten and rewritten, and eventually it was taken, it was compiled with a bunch of other documents that made up our New Testament and then put into our Bible. In one of these instances, Luke tells us about this, this story where Jesus is sitting around with his disciples and he begins to teach them, again, about money. This is what he says. <clears throat> he said, Jesus told his disciples, and when he's t- talking about his disciples, this is, isn't just like the 12 that we kind of think of. This is, this is a, 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 his 12, this is the, the, the 70 or the 100, this is like the, a bunch of Jesus' followers are kind of sitting around listening. And every time he's sitting around listening, there's these people on the outside, uh, kind of on the outskirts of his disciples who are there to hear what Jesus says, but are only there with one intention in mind, and that's to kind of trip him up, to kind of trick him. We'll get to that at the end of the message. But he's sitting here and he's teaching his disciples, and he says, there was a rich man. And as soon as he says, there's a rich man, all his disciples know that this is some kind of made-up story, right? This is, this is another one of these, these illustrations. It's another one of these parables. Jesus really isn't, isn't saying any, anything that, that's true. He's trying to teach us a lesson. There was a rich man whose manager was uh, accused of wasting his possessions. There was this guy who was so wealthy, he had so much, so much income, so much money, so much possessions, land, whatever it might be. He had so much that he couldn't manage it on his own. So much so that he had to hire a manager. He hired another guy to manage his money for him because there was so much money and so much wealth and so much possessions, he couldn't do it on his own. And he kind of gets word, right, that, that something isn't right here, that, that this, this manager 
is doing something kind of wrong with his money, maybe something dishonest, maybe something inappropriate. He gets wind of this, and he sits down with his manager, and he calls him in like, like any good, good kind of owner would do, right? He calls him in, and he asks him, what is this I hear about you? I, I'm getting word that, that, that things aren't going the way they should, that you're not representing me well with my money. I hired you to manage my wealth, to manage my affairs, to be, to be a manager of what I own, to represent me, and you're not doing a good job of it. So he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. Or essentially what he's really saying to the, to the money manager is this. He's saying, I want you to, get, to kind of get things in order because you can't be my manager a- anymore. You're, you're fired, right? You're, you're done. You're out. But before you're out, I want you to bring kind of the, 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 the big book of all the records and, and all the business that's been done. I want you to kind of get the affairs in order so that I know what's going on so that the next manager that comes in has a good place to start and go forward. You're fired, but I want you to bring, <clears throat> bring in the, the book, if you will, and give an account of your management. So the manager, he, he, now, he kind of says to himself, well, what shall I do now? Right? And that's the key word. What shall I do now? I, I have a little bit of time. He's given me a little bit of time to kind of get the, the affairs in order to close out the books or, or whatever it might be. I've, I've got a little bit of time left. And, and that's the key here. What shall I do now? I've been found out. I've been had. Uh, he, he knows, like, my gig is up, whatever I've been doing behind the scenes, whatever dishonest trade I was doing. He knows, what am I going to do now? My master is taking away my job. And I'm not, I love this. I'm not strong enough to dig. I, I've got soft hands. I, I'm, I'm not like a blue collar. I'm like a white collar worker. I need, I need the air conditioning and the heat. I need to, I need to, I need to sit in an office with a, with a pen and paper or you know, a, a laptop. I, 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 need, I need the nice job. I, I, can't, I can't go outside. I, I'm not strong enough to dig. And I'm, I, I'm ashamed to beg. What, if anything, do I do now? And then this manager, this dishonest money manager, hatches a scheme. He hatches a scheme, and, and, and this is what Jesus tells us. He says, I, I'll know. <clears throat> I know. This is the manager. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job, and, and, and here's the thing, I'm going to lose my job, right? It, it, I'm, it, it's going to be gone. I, I'm going to lose it. It's inevitable that when I lose my job, that somebody will be there, that people will welcome me <clears throat> into their house. I, I know what's going to happen. Eventually, this is going to happen. I'll lose my job, but I'm going to hatch a scheme so that when I'm fired, I've got some place to go. So this money manager, he calls in each of his master's debtors. And this master you know, has a lot of possessions, land. He's, he's buying and he's trading and he's selling. So he has, he has a bunch of people he's done business with, a bunch of people who probably owe him something. He's, he has debtors. He asks, he, he asks all of them to come in. But, but in this, this story, Jesus gives an illustration of only two of them. The money manager calls in the first and he says, how much do you owe my master? How much, how much do you owe? And, and the guy responds, he says, I, I owe 900 gallons of olive oil. And the manager said, oh, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your bill and sit down quickly. Let, let's, let's do this before anybody else knows what's happening. Let's do this before my master comes back. I've only, remember, I've only got a little bit of time. I, I only have a little bit. So quickly, I want you to take your bill. I want you to sit down, and I, I love this, and make it 450. <laughs> you know, of course, the guy's like, yeah, sure. Are you, are you sure? Like, is, is this really what we like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I want you to take this, <clears throat> and, and I want you to quickly 
put down 450. And, and of course, this guy's thinking, what a steal, what a deal, right? The second guy <clears throat> comes in before he, you know, before he makes his way in, this guy's on his way. He's like, man, thank you. Thank you so much. He's like, yeah, yeah, we, we, I have to do this fast. I've got another guy coming. I've got a whole line uh, of debtors waiting to come in. Thank you so much. Hey, I appreciate this so much. If you ever need anything, just give me a call. And the money manager, I'm sure, gets a big grin on his face. He's like, just wait. It might be sooner than you think. Calls in the second guy. He asks the second one, hey, how much do you owe my master? He says, I owe him a thousand bushels of wheat. Money manager says, all right, well, take your bill and quickly make it 800. And you know what he's thinking. <clears throat> like, <clears throat> seriously? Are, are you sure you want me to do this? That's, that's a big discount. That's a cut. And he's like, hey, here's the thing. If you can close this out today, if you can pay today, if I, if I can close out this account, let's make it eight. So, like, man, thank you. Thank you so much. That's so generous of you. If you ever need anything, the money manager smiles again. He says, yeah, I'll look you up. It might be later today. He squirts him out, and, and we get the indication, the implication, rather, that, that he does this with all of the master's debtors. He does this with many, many people cutting their bills, giving them deals, whatever he could do to close the accounts out, make the, the books look better. And then <clears throat> the master, right? The master, he's going to find out. The master knows, he's, he's going to know. And you have to imagine that the money manager did this and knew that eventually the master would find out. And, and, and what's incredible here is when Jesus is telling this, because you know, he's just this, this masterful storyteller, He's telling the story to his first century audience because he knows what he has to do to kind of bait them in, to kind of get them to come along. And they're, they're listening to this story and thinking, Jesus, this is crazy. This guy's going to get busted. Someone's going to find out. They're going to string him up. They're going to execute him. They'll, they'll throw him in prison. Like, he's done for. And rightfully so because look what he did to the master. My guess is some people were divided, right? Some people were on the side of, hey, I, I owe some people some things. Man, this guy is so generous. Like, like, what would it be like to be the guy who owed the master and only have to pay half? That's so incredible. And then other people were on the side of the master, of the rich man, thinking, man, when this guy finds out, how dare you? What a crook. What a criminal. How dishonest can you be to undercut the master this way? Uh, surely, if you're reading this, or maybe hearing this, rather, for the first time, you're thinking, probably like, like those people. This guy's done, and he should be. This is so dishonest. The truth is, I, I would have felt the same way. Probably reading it at the first time as a, a child or a teenager, I probably felt the same way you did. This guy's going to get what he deserves. And if you're on that side of the equation, Jesus tells us you're wrong. The master doesn't condemn him. The master doesn't judge him. Jesus tells us that, that the master commended him. That, that the master kind of rewarded the dishonest money manager. He, he kind of walked in and laughed like, dude, uh, good job. I, I, I guess I didn't expect this. Like, like you, you did it. You closed that. You got me. But you did it. And, and, and here's the thing. The, 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 the master is commending the dishonest money manager, not for being dishonest. This is the key here. Not for being dishonest. Jesus tells us that he commends the dishonest money manager because he had acted shrewdly, because he, he had been, been thoughtful about his behaviors, because he had been thinking and, and acting <clears throat> like, like there's more to life than life. 
Right, right? That's what this guy's thinking. He's thinking about his future. He's thinking like th- 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 there's more to this job than just to this job. I've got to be worried about what happens next. I've got a little bit of time. I- I've got a little bit of resource of, of this ability to pull people in and, and, and cut their bills and work deals. I- like I've got a little bit of time, a little bit of resource. What am I going to do for, for, for my future? And Jesus says the master commended him because he acted truly, because he thought he, he behaved in a way that was more than just this moment. He behaved in a way, he was thinking about his, his resource and his time in a way that was more than now, but it was concerned about the future. And this is where he, we kind of step out of the parable. Jesus kind of steps out of the parable, and, and, and he looks now at his audience, at his first century audience, which I, I believe he, he would probably sit here and, and say the same thing to us, looking at all of us, our, the 21st century audience. And he'd, he, he would say this, for the, the people of this world, the people of this world, the people that live as if, <clears throat> as if there's just this life, as if there isn't an eternity in mind, as if, as if there isn't you know, a God in mind, the people, that, the people of this world, the, the people who live like, like today is for today, like, like all there is to life is this life, for the people of this world are more shrewd. They're more thoughtful. They're more forward thinking. They're more concerned about what happens later. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. And when he's referring to the people of the light here, he's referring to to his Jewish audience, the first century audience, who had a promise from God to bring something into the world that would change the world forever. He, He said to his first century audience, that's you. For the people that aren't you, the people that live as if it's just today, as if life is just life, as if, as if you know, I, I, it's kind of bookended. There's a birth certificate and a death certificate, and, and, and once you go, you go. Like, those people, they live more shrewdly in their dealings with their own kind than for the people of light, than for the people that, that, that think and should be living in a way that, that isn't bookended by a, a, you know, a birth certificate and a death certificate, that should be living as if there's eternity in mind, that should be living as if there's more to this life than this life, that, that, that should be living in a way that, that kind of says to the rest of the world, I'm not just concerned about the here and now, but I'm concerned about what happens afterwards. I'm concerned about, about what happens when I'm gone. But we're not behaving that shrewdly. And you see, I, I think Jesus would say the same thing to us as 21st century audience. The people of this world are more shrewd than you are when it comes to how we deal with these things. You see, the money manager, he was commended for taking full advantage of his limited time and his limited opportunity. And isn't that what all of us have been given? We're on this earth for a limited window of time, if you will, for a limited period of time. And while we're on this earth, we've been given limited resource to do something with. And we hear this and we kind of think, you know, but what, is, you know, what, is, what does Jesus have to, have to do with this kind of thing? It, maybe, maybe you're the kind of person who says, well, you know, I don't believe in Jesus. I'm, I'm not a Jesus follower anyway, so I, why should I even kind of subscribe to this thought? And the truth is, is that, that none of this even matters if it wasn't for, for what happens at the end of Jesus' life. Luke is kind of writing all this down with what happened at the end of Jesus' life in mind. He's seen this. He's, he's witnessed it. That's why he's writing about it. But when this is happening, when Jesus is speaking this to his first century audience, this hadn't happened. They didn't know it was coming. 
Jesus tells his first century audience this. He says, I tell you, use your worldly wealth, in which I'm guessing his audience would mean, what other kind of wealth is there, right? It's all, it's all worldly wealth. Jesus, what are you talking about? Wealth is wealth. Is there some other kind of wealth than just worldly wealth? To which Jesus would have said, good question, you're paying attention. I tell you, use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, just like the money manager did. So that when it's all gone, because eventually it's going to be gone, right? eventually you're going to be gone at, at some point in, in time, it's all going to go, you're going to go, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings, which sounds so strange. And if you were to ask me to explain that, I, I really, I, I, I couldn't explain that. But, but here's what I know of what Jesus is saying. When, when he's talking about what happens after we die, when he's talking about, about this idea that, that there's an eternity, that there's something after death, we really don't have an understanding of that, but, but I, I tend to say, and, and I tend to go along with the guy who, who predicted his own death and burial and resurrection and then did it. I, I think he's the guy who probably knows more about, about a resurrection and a life after death than anyone else. He said he would do it, and, and he did it, and that just kind of indicates clearly he knows more than we know about this. But, but, but if, if you're not that guy, if you're just kind of sitting there listening to this and thinking, Jim, th- this doesn't even apply to me. Like, I, I, don't, I hear what you're saying, and, and, and that's all fine and good, but <clears throat> I'm not even sure I, I believe, you know, that there is a Jesus. And I'm not, <clears throat> here's, like, I guess, what, what I would say to you. If, if you're struggling with, with this part of the message, with this whole kind of eternity thing, and, and, and God kind of uh, um, giving us a, a window of time with a, a window of resource, um, the question is, and we know this, right? When you go, your money's not going with you. When, when we kind of take a step out of this life, and whether you believe it goes somewhere or it doesn't go somewhere, your possessions, your money, they don't follow, right? We, we all know that. You've heard the saying, can't take it with you. And, and the truth is you, you can't, right? We know that. So doesn't that kind of make us a manager anyway? Aren't we kind of like the money manager? And if we are then like a money manager, the question that becomes, well, who are we managing it for? Are we managing it for, for, for something, someone else? And if you don't believe that it's God, if you don't believe that it's Jesus, my question to you is, who? Who are you managing it for? Yeah, this kind of, if you look at it in this light, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and in, that in the beginning... God created us in His image to represent Him on this earth. And that if in the beginning, when God <clears throat> created these, all these things, created us and, and gave possessions to the world for us, well, then it kind of answers that question, who we're managing it for. But again, if your money could talk, what would it say? Jesus says, according to Jesus, money is, is just a means. Money is just a means, and we're to live like that manager. We're to live like the manager who would kind of live our life with eternity in mind, who would to live our lives like, like this life just isn't this life, like there's more to this life, like after this life, there's something else that's going to happen. So, so, so what do we do about that? How do we leave a legacy? Really, how do we answer this question? How can I leverage more of what I have as a means to an end that's not me? How can I leverage more of what I have as a means to an end that's not me? You see, the truth is when it comes to your money, to your possessions, to what you find valuable, those are, are, are just a means. Those aren't the end. And, and that if we're managing these means, the question then becomes, how do, I, how do I leverage those as a means? As a means to an end that isn't me.
See, I, I've been counseling people for years and years to, to, to do a few things when they get married. When I got married, my wife and I did this. Uh, she kind of took over the books, and we set a budget, and I was horrible at following it, but we did anyway. We set a budget, and we decided at the very get-go that we were going to live on a percentage, that we were going to give 10% to the church. That's what we, taught, we were taught as kids, and we decided we'd always do that. Uh, and one of the things we didn't do that I wish we did when we were younger uh, um, that we're doing now is to have another percentage set aside of money that we would like to do things with, to do things for other people, to do things in the world, to do things that, that our hearts are, are concerned about. And this is what I, I always counsel couples to do when they get married. And, and they don't like it, but, but if you spend any kind of period of time living on this earth, you know that, that this is true. Well, I, I kind of counsel them, hey, decide from the get-go, decide from the get-go what percentage of your income you want to live on. And, and here's the kicker. Here's why. Here's why you decide what percentage of your income you want to live on. Because you are going to live on a percentage of your income. And I think it's better for us to decide up front what percentage we want to live than living a lifestyle that decides the percentage we want to live. Because that's what we typically do. We just kind of live our life and we, we, our, our lifestyle dictates the percentage. And for some of us, it's right up at the top. We're kind of pushing 100. For some of us, it's over 100, right? We're, we're going into debt each and every month because our lifestyle has dictated a, 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 a kind of a, a lifestyle or a budget that we can't afford. So decide up front what we want to do with it. That's what we did. We decided up front, here's how we want to live our life. We want to live on this percentage of income, and then we want to be able to give a percentage of that income away. We wanted, we wanted to be able to do something with that. We wanted, we wanted to be able to, to invest in the things that our hearts cared about, that we cared about, that we wanted to see different in the world. We decided that we would, we would use our stuff to do something with it. That anytime we had an opportunity to bless somebody, we wanted to take them up at that, on that opportunity. That anytime we could use something we owned to bless somebody else or do something to help somebody else, we would try our best to do that. And, and again, I'm not advocating to live irresponsibly. That's dangerous to some people, but for us, it's what we wanted to do. We decided we wouldn't be hoarders. We, we decided that anytime we got a box of stuff together, we were going to bring it down in the basement to put on a shelf or in the garage to put on the shelf. The question was always, are we going to use this again? Are we going to use this again in, in, in a week or uh, you know, a few months or maybe even a year? But if it's going to be two or three years, why are we putting this on a shelf? It's just going to take up space and we're going to pay to heat it and it's going to be covered in dust. And you know, in a few years, we're going to come down and find it and think, what do we need this for? Let's give this to someone else. Let's just give it to someone else now. We were not going to hoard. We're going to use what we have to bless other people. And we've done our best, and sometimes we've been really successful. Sometimes we haven't been that successful. Sometimes, sometimes we're really good at living on the budget, and then other times, you know, I get on Amazon, and I get a little, you know, I, I'm grateful about my life, or a little discontent, and I want to get some things, and my wife's great at saying, hey, Jim, remember? And I'm, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. We wanted to live this way. <clears throat> but, but, but here's what I do know, is that we had the ability to take our stuff <clears throat> and to turn our stuff into stories. We had the ability to take some of the things that God gave us and leverage it to help other people, to see other people's lives transformed, maybe made better, maybe just put a smile on someone's face. And here's what I know, that at the end of it all, I don't miss our stuff. We don't miss our stuff. <clears throat> but you ask about some of those stories, and some of those stories, even today, would make us emotional. Some of those stories, it's hard to sit and talk through and to tell someone without getting a little bit emotional about it. Because it's really not the stuff that mattered. It was the stories. It was how we leveraged the stuff to change someone's life that created a story. So the question I had to answer is really, I think, the same question you now have to answer. When it comes to your money, when it comes to your possessions, when it comes to your stuff, 
do you really want more stuff? Or do you want more stories? Do you want more stuff? Because the, the chances are you could go and get it, but in the end, is that, is that going to make you happy? You see, this is what, what happens in our life. We kind of get stuck in this rat race of, of more and more and, and more. But at the end, are, are we ever really happy? When it, when it comes to, to our, our, our funeral and our eulogy, which is, I get it, it's a little morbid to think about on a nice, cozy Sunday morning. <coughs> when it comes to the end, nobody's going to tell stories about your stuff. But people will tell stories about how you used your stuff to create a story for them. What do you want more of? Your stuff or your stories? See, Jesus, he's not done with the parable yet, though. He's going to jump back in, <clears throat> and he's going to continue to teach us. Here's, here's where, what he says. He says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is, is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. And I know what you're thinking. My guess is you're kind of wrestling with this the same way his first century audience was wrestling with this. Well, Jesus, what do you mean trusted with little and trusted with much? And whoever has, a, a, you know, is dishonest with little is dishonest with much. Jesus keeps going. And, and I, I imagine they're feeling a little bit confused as you might be. He says, so, so if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, and, then, and now you're thinking, <clears throat> trusting, like who's trusting me with it? This is no one else's. This is mine. I... I I've earned this. I've worked hard. That's my paycheck. That's, you know, that's the, the title to the house. <clears throat> the deed is in my name. The title on the car is in my name. This is my stuff. No one's trusting me with their stuff. This is my stuff. Jesus says, but if you haven't been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with a thing that's better than worldly wealth? Who's going to trust you with, with true riches? Who's going to trust you with more? See, according to Jesus, money is a means, and money is also a test. A test to see where your heart lies. Who, which kingdom are you going to be more committed to? My kingdom? The, the kingdom that, that enables you to leverage your wealth, your income, your possessions for the sake of, of helping someone else, of creating more stories? Or your kingdom that you're going to build and you're going to accumulate and you may end up with a lot of, but you can't take it with you. See, if you've not been trustworthy, he says. <clears throat> and if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, again, whose property? This is mine. I've earned this. Who will give you property of your own? You see, if we're not careful, our money will have a lot to say about us when we're gone. See, the, the truth is, money would say this. We, we know that money is a means, it's not an end. But money would also say, I'll still be here when you're gone. I'll still be here when you go. You can't take me with you. And, and then it would, it would say this, the moment you think you own me, the moment you think you own me, I own you. You see, just like uh, the, the, the character in, in the story in Jesus' parable, we're a manager. We're managers. We're not owners. We've been given a, a brief period of time, a brief window of time 
this, this little bitty amount of time and this little bitty amount of opportunity or resource. And the question is, what are we going to do with it? See, money would say, I'm a means. I'm not an end. I'm a tool and a test. And I can add meaning to your life. But I am not the meaning of life. I, I can add value to your life. But I'm not the meaning of life. I, I, I can add value to yours and someone else's life. But I'm not the meaning of life. So the, the question is, if, if, being a means, <clears throat> if being a means to an end is what gives your life meaning, ultimately I think this is the question you need to wrestle with. This is the question I have to wrestle with. This is the question we all have to wrestle with when it comes to, to our possessions, to our money, to our resource. If being a means to an end is what gives your life meaning, which I think we can all say it, it is, right? We, if, if we have those stories, and I know, my guess is this is how we want to live, right? We want to live like our life has meaning. If being a means to an end is what gives your life meaning, the question is, to what ends do you want your life to be a means? If, if being a means to an end is what gives your life meaning, to what end do you want your life to be a means? What breaks your heart? What moves you? What are you passionate about? What do you, what do you look out on the world and think, man, that's got to change? How can you leverage your life, your time, your resource to that means? Here's a great question that I, I love. What would I want people to line up for at the end of my life and thank me? What do you want them to line up for and thank you for at the end of your life? Is it how well you purchased and bought and sold? Is it how many beautiful houses you have or cars or how our appetites just kind of overwhelmed our life? Or is it how we leveraged our life, our time, and our resource to be a means in someone else's life? You see, to what ends? <clears throat> to what ends do you want your life to be a means? I know this is what anyone would say. We wouldn't say accumulation and consumption and upgrades and fashion forward and a house full of stuff. But the truth is, if we're not careful, this is where our appetites lead us. Our appetites lead us to more and more and better and newer. And I have some empty room in that corner. Let me find a way to fill it. That's not what we want out of our life. I know that's not what I want, and I know that's not what you want. We want our life to have meaning. We want our life to have joy. We want to, want to be able to share those stories about how we were able to help someone and see someone's life change and make someone's life better. But if we're not careful, our life will look like this. She ate, she drank, she was merry, and then she died. See, if we're not careful, what ends up happening in our life is we end up living for ourselves. And if we live for ourselves, all we'll have to show for ourselves is ourself. Nothing else. No stories, no life change. Oh, and maybe, maybe some stuff. Maybe some stuff for people to fight over when we're gone. But that's not how we want to live, is it? That's not a legacy. The legacy we want to, to, to leave is more and it's bigger. It's not living within the bookends of a, a birth certificate and a death certificate. It's not living as if life is just this life and nothing else happens. It, we want to believe. We want to, we want to know that something happens after. So the question we have to wrestle, the question really you have to wrestle is this. If being a means to an end is what gives your life meaning, to what ends do I want, do you want your life to be a means? Is it just to satisfy your appetites? Is it to satisfy the things you want? 
Or is it to use your life and to use your, your limited a bit of, of time, your, your limited bit of opportunity and resource to be a means in someone else's life? Is, is it an opportunity to create some stories instead of accumulating stuff? We're going to look back at the parable as Jesus closes the parable out. You remember at the beginning I told you when he's talking to his disciples, he's talking to a large group of his disciples. And on the outside and kind of on the outskirts of his disciples are a group of people who are just there to kind of judge him, to, to ask him the tricky questions, to get him to trip up. At the end of Jesus' teaching, this is where we're going to start off with next week. He says this, the Pharisees who loved money, the Pharisees who heard everything that I've just explained to you that, that Jesus said, the Pharisees who loved money and heard all of this, were sneering at Jesus. And do you know what their names were? Me neither. And that's why we've got to get this right. Look up here next week. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for an opportunity, Lord. Even if it's through the internet and streaming and social media, I thank you for an opportunity to share this message. God, for an opportunity for us to maybe shift our focus and to really think that if my money said anything about money, if my money told a story, what story would it tell? Would it be that I live my life with myself in mind or would it be that I live my life as if it was just a means <clears throat> to someone else's end? I pray that you would, you would help each of us, God, to live with this kind of eternal picture in mind, with this, with this bigger idea of life, that life just isn't this life, but that it goes on. And we can use this amount of time, this amount of resource and opportunity to make a difference in somebody else's life. God, give us the wisdom to know what to do with what we just heard and give us the courage to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for sitting through to the end, for hearing this message. I love you. There's nothing you can do about it. We'll see you next week for part two of Money Talks. God bless.